Hey guys, welcome back. Um, it was fun to, we were gone last week, fun to be back here, uh, missed being here, and always is great to be right here uh, on Wednesday nights. And so tonight you guys are in for a fun treat, you're going to get to hear from Scott and Kristen Kadersha. And so um, this has kind of been your experience of the marriage ministry at Watermark, but there's actually multiple things that we do uh, here. Uh, we talk about doing kind of four things. One is preparing newlyweds. The other is establishing newlyweds. And then uh, what we do on an ongoing basis week to week here is enrich and restore uh, all marriages. And so um, Lance Cisco runs our foundation groups, which is what we do with uh, newlyweds. As soon as they get married, we put them in a small group for about 15 months with a mentor couple. Uh, and we talk about playing a really good offense on the front end of that. Uh, Scott is the one who's been giving leadership to our prepare ministry. So Merge, uh, which you guys see uh, all those skinny, um, almost uh, almost marrieds walking that way uh, on Wednesday night. That's uh, Scott and Kristen uh, kind of a uh, lead, lead that ministry, and it has been an amazing gift both to this body and to uh, this community. And so I remember, you know, probably five, six years ago, Scott and I were sitting around, and uh, we heard there's basically 13,000 weddings in Dallas County every year. And we said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we saw, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, 10% of those couples um, come through merge, you know, which would just seem like an insane uh, number. And last year we had almost 700 couples. So we're uh, kind of about 5% of a number that equals everybody that got married in Dallas County came through uh, Merge here and got to hear the gospel. They got to hear, um, you know, good content. And they also got to meet uh, other people that can kind of help them in their journey. And that's all under Scott's leadership. He's been just a really huge uh, part of everything that's gone on here in the marriage ministry, including re-engage. But you guys would never uh, just get a chance to see him because he's over there on Wednesday night. So anyway, I just wanted you to know that's who has come and he's a huge fan and actually is a really big part of re-engage uh, although you probably have never seen or seen him or heard uh, their names before so if you would put your hands together and welcome scott and Kristen kadersha I'm not going to play you a song. I am <laughs> fixing this. There we go. All right. Okay. Hey, uh, good evening, everyone. This is, we teach like on a regular uh, basis, pretty much every week. And there's something different about sharing your testimony than, than teaching. And so there's a little bit of <laughs> just butterflies in the stomach in a really good way because we're about to vomit all over you. Not literally, but just, just our story. So, um, Yes, our names are Scott and Kristen Kadersha. We've been married for almost 13 years. And so there's our wedding picture. Um, Kristen looking exactly the same. That's, you can tell that's 13 years ago for me. It uh, looks the same for her. We are the parents of four boys who range from, uh, from five up to ten. And so we have a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and twin ten-year-old uh, boys. As John said, I serve as the director of the Merge Premarital Ministry. We've been at Watermark for about 12 years now. Um, I love this. So just to clear up any confusion of what pastor kids are like, this is um, some of our, our kids' greatest artwork. This is from one of our twins. This is from Easter Sunday, okay? And so we have one twin who's a, who's a little bit more sporty and one who's a little bit more academic. Yep. And this comes from the academic one who um, very creatively combines the, the Easter bunny on the cross. But also notice that he's holding, uh, in the, the picture on the left, you got the, the last supper, he's holding the bread and the cup. And so there's just this weird mix of like 
theologically astute, and he loves himself some Easter bunny candy, as you can see by the, the bunny uh, holding his Easter basket on the cross. Hey, I, I do want you to know, um, we do serve over in the, in the merge ministry in the other big room over there, and I want you to know that we pray for you faithfully every week. Every week on our um, leader agenda, and I tell them, pray for our re-engaged couples. And I, I just want, I don't know most of you, but I want you to know that we love you and we care for you and we, we're praying for you very faithfully. And so just be encouraged. I know sometimes you feel like you're alone and, you're, and you've got a great group around you, but there are many people who are praying for you every week. And it's a real, real privilege for us to be here with you tonight. I wish we could be here every week. But I get to take care of the, of the young, uh, clueless couples over in the other room. It's really fun to just give them a, a picture of what marriage really is about. And so we met in the fall of 1997. Uh, I was Kristen's student while I was going through physical therapy school. Um, weird relationship. She was my teacher. I was her student. I barely noticed her. Uh, she was into me from day one. It was a little bit awkward. <laughs> especially when she threatened to fail me if I wouldn't date her. And so it was just this awkward kind of dating relationship in the beginning, right? Lie. That was all a lie. Um, Reality was the other way around. Um, Scott kind of was head over heels, love at first sight with me. It took me about four years to kind of get with the program and figure it out. Um, We did get married in the fall of 2001, the week of 9-11, if you notice the date on the picture. Um, And then we Two months later, Scott felt called to ministry. That was, it was not a bait and switch. I knew that was coming. Um, and so we moved here. And then in, after four years in seminary, we tried everything we could to get out of Dallas. And the Lord kept us here. And we can't imagine being anywhere else. And so we've been part of Watermark since 2002 um, in different capacities. We've spoken at Reengage a couple times over the last few years, um, and as Scott said, it's usually a teaching capacity. But tonight, we're going to share more of our part of our testimony, just part of one of our struggles in marriage. Um, and we're just like all of you; we've had struggles, we have struggles um, all the time. And so, whether it's communication, conflict, sex, and money, um, it's the same for us. Um, it's just how we deal with it. And um, so, we're just going to share part of that tonight. Yeah, so th- what we're going to talk about tonight is something that probably doesn't come up a lot in church circles. And so we're, we're not talking about sex, but we're talking about food, eating, exercise, weight, and body image. For my entire life, as long as I can remember, this has been a huge issue for me. I've been overweight my whole life. I'd go through seasons in the past of doing really well, only to fall back into old patterns. I haven't changed much since we got married. The, uh, I worked really hard to impress Kristen, and then once I got a ring on the finger, I progressed back to old habits, and that's been the way things have gone for, uh, for about 15 years now, 13 years in marriage, uh, and just really basically my whole life, and then our story together as a couple. Uh, this issue is heightened for me specifically since my dad died at the age of 39 years old from heart disease, leaving behind a wife who became my mom as a single mom of two boys. Uh, my dad had some genetic things going on that were a little bit different, but my health is a whole lot worse than where he was. And so I just turned 41 a couple weeks ago. Literally, I think by the grace of God that he has allowed me to keep going because there's no reason I should be alive based on the way I've treated my body and my health and not stewarded this temple that God has given me. Uh, there have been many other issues in my life and in our, in our lives uh, that we've struggled through, pornography, anger, 
um, self-esteem issues, but this is the one that is, uh, when Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh, this is the thorn in the flesh for me. So the focus is going to be a little bit heavy on Scott's sin and struggles, but just to be clear, um, I am not sinless or not guilty even in this process. I have my own struggles, control, body image, insecurity, anger, and so the focus tonight is not really Scott's sin, but more of what happens when you work together on either one of your sins and just the door that that opens for healing and hope in your marriage. That's a very very high level. Whatever, Whatever your issue or struggle is, I'm going to give you what mine, what has contributed to some of our marriage issues. Uh, and some of our areas, walk with Christ, we've not honored God. And so that might be in the way we spend, the way we treat our spouse, the way we treat our body. Sometimes we blame it on genetics or our background or our family or the, the deck of cards that we've been dealt. Uh, sometimes things are out of our control. Sometimes they're within our control. Our issues cost us money, time, resources, relational stress, anxiety, and worry. And often we do really well for a short period of times only to fall short again down the road. This, uh, the, the verse that has had the greatest impact on me is, is 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. It says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. A cross-reference to that might be Philippians 1.20, where, again, Paul challenges us to honor God with our bodies. And I just have not honored God with my body for my entire life. Since um, end of 2013, um, some significant ups and downs, and we have turned a corner in this battle. And so tonight we just want to share what we've learned along the way. And the first is that life change happens best in the context of community and Y'all are probably figuring that out um, just as you start to go through re-engage here. But every time we grow in life, it involves other people around us. And so whether it's your re-engage group or community groups or different classes that you've been in, there is a level of community and accountability that help push us um, in the right direction. So I have been in community for the last 15 plus years of my life. Uh, but I've not rightly involved my community. And so what that looks like is that they would get the full picture of how I'm doing for a couple weeks, and then I'd pull back. Or I'd show them what I wanted them to see, and I'd hide everything else. Or I would pretend to give them everything, but really I'm just hiding this massive amount of sin and deceit, gorging on food, not taking care of my body like I claimed to do. Uh, A few, probably about 15 months ago, I watched a friend rightly involved his community, and it had a huge impact on me. And so I turned uh, 40 last May and said it was time to do something different with my body, with my wellness, for my family, for my wife. And so on May 8th of 2013, four days after I turned 40, I sent this email out to a group of about 20 guys. It said, man and Kristen, this is an email that is way overdue in my life, but no better time than the present to get it out. As you all know, I've struggled with weight, exercise, health, and wellness for a very long time, really my whole life. The challenges boil down to overeating, food idolatry, lack of commitment and follow-through, deceit and hiding, laziness, passivity, and probably other areas. There's way too much on the line for me to be complacent in this area of life. The Lord has stewarded to me an amazing wife, four boys who need a daddy who's healthy, family, friends that I love, and a great ministry at Watermark. It's time to make some changes, and not just short-term changes, but permanent changes. 
And so from there, I just detailed out in this email how I was going to make changes in eating, exercise, sleep, spiritual disciplines, and how I needed their help. And so every week for about eight months, you'll hear what happens after the eight months in a few minutes, I send an email out to these guys every week on what I'm eating. Literally everything that goes in my mouth went on this report. And so they'd get a detailed update on what I ate, my exercise, and it really allowed them and allowed Kristen and myself great insight in my struggles. And so for, for those of you that maybe this isn't your issue, your spouse's struggle is probably not your struggle. Whatever it is, if it's porn or anger, whatever it is, find a way to let your spouse in. And so this became a way for me to involve my community. It became a way for me to invite Kristen into the struggle with me so that she could help me, encourage me, admonish me, and challenge me. Some of you have prayed for a long time that your spouse would start working on your marriage, and you've prayed they would come to church or prayed they would come to re-engage. And I know there are many times you've wanted to quit and give up and lost hope, but somehow prayed anyways. For years, I prayed for physical wellness of Scott and that the Lord would somehow get his attention and not in too drastic a way. Scott writing this letter to these guys relieved me of the pressure to either push him if he was doing nothing that contributed to his wellness or gently prodding him when he seemed to be trying well. This offered a whole new level of accountability and more importantly for him, a new level of encouragement. So Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I have watched these men rally around my husband and challenge and encourage him every week. I also got involved with a group of people that I've worked out with uh, three days a week for the past really 13 months. And so there's a picture of my group, and not all of us are still going, but there's, there's about half that group I work out with three days a week. We encourage each other. We challenge each other. When I'm not there, I get a phone call wondering where I am. And so questions to ask, how are you involving your community? And not only are you um, involving them, but are you being fully transparent with them? Are you being honest or are you just letting them see what you want them to see? So second lesson we've learned is that you have to grow in your affection for Christ. See your, your problem is sin and address accordingly. So wherever we are in our walk with Christ or our marriage journey, one of the problems is when we don't see our sin, our struggle is a sin. Our spouse's issue is definitely sin. But our own is not really sin. We justify it. We excuse it. Uh, we think it's not a big deal. Okay, and so uh, some of you, for instance, might hear me talk about eating being a sin. Just to be crystal clear, thank you, Jesus, eating is not a sin. Okay, what's a sin is when food becomes an idol, when food becomes your source of comfort, when you look for life in the food that you eat. And some of you may also be thinking, man, Scott's got it really easy. If his issue is eating, just quit it, right? Just quit eating so much. Okay, that would be like me telling you, Quit getting angry. Quit looking at porn. Quit cheating on your spouse. Quit being insecure. Quit being stupid. Quit getting angry, whatever it may be. And so this is, this is my issue, very real and very alive in my life, just like your issues are. And it is a sin struggle. And until I really put my arms around the fact that this is not just a bad habit or a mistake, but a sin in my life, because of the life I was, look, the life I was looking for in my food. And so it took me realizing that eating is not a sin, but the way I treated food was a sin. And I've been dominated by food as long as I can remember. It's not just an overeating issue. It is a sin problem. 
and I no longer can justify my eating behaviors and my patterns under the excuse of needing to eat or my issues could be so worse. I looked down on other people. I said, if you're looking at porn or you're getting angry or you're cheating on your wife, that's a lot worse. My only problem is eating. And so I've done the same thing that you might be doing with me. I've judged. I've been prideful. And I needed to see my sin rightly, that it is exactly what it is. It separates me from God, and it prevents me from loving my wife and my kids really well. So sometimes we are so engrossed in our own sin struggle that we can't see them clearly. And when we've lived a certain way for our whole lives, we don't realize the level of dysfunction. And so marriage provides that full-length mirror in your spouse um, or a spotlight that allows us to see ourselves clearly. And um, unlike other human relationship, marriage allows us to see our sin struggles for what they really are. And so just think about, are you hiding or justifying a sin? Are you deceiving your spouse and others about your sin, just knowing that it's not, not God's best by justifying it? It's good. It's three is win your spouse over without nagging. First Peter 3, 1 and 2, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won by, without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. This principle works both ways. It's written to women, addressed to women, but the concept applies just as much to men. Win them over without a word. The translation of that is, means don't nag. It means you win them over by your conduct, by your Christ-like conduct. My wife has put up with a lot over the years. Financial struggles, insecurity, uh, medical bills, lost time and energy with the kids, poor sleep, less energy to serve, and all along the way, she sacrificed. Not because um, she, it's because she, she loves me, because that's what we do in marriage. We put the other's needs before our own, and so we don't point the finger, but we win them over by our conduct in Christ. So that being said, there are some times when I could and should have pushed or nagged a little bit farther. I knew this was a sin in our marriage, and while not promoting overeating or passivity, I didn't encourage or challenge Scott enough to make some changes that could have come through personally challenging him more or even just getting rid of some of the food that my four little minions like to eat that aren't great for Scott to have around. Um, And so I just didn't encourage him to go to our community either and just be a little more honest and um, authentic with exactly where he was. And so there are ways that I could have partnered with him. um, And there is a fine line between not wanting to nag, not being the food police, and encouraging him to have um, hard conversations and just having that hard conversation with him. And so if you're afraid of hurting your spouse's feelings or making them mad and you passively stand by and watch them continually fall into sin patterns, then you are not participating in their spiritual growth. And so just look and see what is your conduct, conduct, conduct like. And are you nagging or are you gently um, pushing them towards Christ? Number four, this is so much more than a 30-day diet or a 16-week ministry. I am a master of the fad diet and the quick exercise program. If you can think of a program, I have done it. Let me give you a few. South Beach, Daniel Fast, P90X, Insanity, Boot Camp, Shakes, The Shred, Watching the Biggest Loser while eating ice cream. Guilty, okay? I'm great at jumping on a program, killing it for a few weeks, and then only returning back to the old sin patterns as soon as the program is done. The problem is when we look for the quick, easy solution for a long-term sin problem. I consistently look for the quick cure with no regard for the long-term. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so run the race before you with endurance, with perseverance. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You're not going to be fixed or cured at the end of the 16 weeks. But hopefully you've got some patterns in place and some community around you. And you see your struggles rightly so that you can continue to engage way beyond your time together here and re-engage. So God's solution to a long-term sin problem is never short, just short-term obedience. It's always a long obedience in the same direction. So like Scott said, you may have a great 16 weeks here, but nothing will change if you don't keep going when you are done with re-engage. At the end of the day, here's the best program, God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. So some of you have been at re-engage for three weeks. You're ready to write it off. You're ready to say it's not working. It took you a long time to get here. It's going to take you a long time to get out as well. In the same way that I can't uh, expect to wake up in the morning after eating well for dinner and expect to drop 20 pounds or go ahead and run a half marathon. It is a lot of work over a long period of time. And so ask yourself, are you in for the quick fix or in for the long haul? What quick fixes have you attempted in the past? Do they ever work? The answer is no. Are you really making an effort to re-engage or are you just showing up begrudgingly, punching the box and doing the deal? Okay, so uh, this is um, a talk that we gave in August of last year. And we had done, I had done incredible. There was great growth in our marriage, great growth in my intimacy with Christ. All of those things that we talked through, I was doing. That continued on through the end of 2013. January rolled around, the time when we're supposed to re-up and do our New Year's resolutions. And apparently, apparently my resolutions were to get fat, to isolate, to quit working out, to justify and excuse my sin, and to not care about my wife and my family. And so everything that I had done rightly, that we did rightly, uh, in 2013, I failed miserably on. I isolated from community. I hid. I gave them the partial picture. I justified. I excused my sin. I fell back in the short-term fix instead of the long-term obedience. And my weight went up, my health went down, my attitude went worse, blew up. I was not loving my wife well. I was insecure again. I hated the way I looked. Everything that had been moving in the right direction moved right back to where it was. And again, God sweetly reminded me through his word that I am to honor him with my body. And so by the grace of God for the last four weeks, I mean, you know, if I'm just totally honest with you, I feel like I have no integrity to give this talk. I'm a fake, okay? If I wasn't, then, then I wouldn't be here again. But this is what we do. When we walk away from the Lord, when we depend on our own strength, when we don't lean on his spirit to guide us, and when we ignore his word. And that's what I did. And by, by the grace of God, about a month ago, he reminded me in Philippians, all the things that we just talked through that I needed to lean on a community of Christ, your re-engage group, your community group. I needed to quit justifying my sin. I needed to call it what it was. I needed to engage my wife in the process. And she needed to speak up in my life. This wasn't just my issue. She was there with me, 
not literally feeding me, but, but putting food on the table, allowing us to go out and allowing me to pig out and justify my sin. And so Kristen had to step up her game as well. And then we said, this is not just a short-term solution. This is not just from May of 2013 to December 13. This is until the Lord decides to take me home. And by the grace of God, I hope that's where I will land. For the last four weeks, it's been awesome. And, you know, my weight is, it doesn't matter where my weight is. I know I'm honoring God in the process and I'm honoring my wife. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. It says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for good work. And I want to be ready for every good work. I want to be honorable. I want to be useful to the master. And when I honor God with my body, it allows me to do that because I can serve my wife, my kids, and the Lord. For those of you who struggle with eating, weight, and passivity, I want you to know you're not alone. I've fought this battle for decades. It is a real challenge and a real issue. And I want to tell you very clearly, okay, with all the love I can, that you cannot thrive in your walk with Christ while neglecting your body at the same time. We cannot separate the two. The Lord desires for you to be useful to the master. And so regardless of what your issue is or why you're here, ask how you can better help your spouse. Don't just focus on their issues, but how can I partner with them to help them become more like Jesus? This is not about being right and about fixing them, but about partnering together for oneness. Remember that you're here for the two of you, not because of one of you. I'd encourage you to say that you're responsible for at least 51% of your struggles. It's easy to point the finger. It's much harder to own where we've fallen short. While primarily focusing on your struggles, Matthew 7, 3 through 5 allows us to prayerfully ask the Lord how we can help our spouse and partner with him or her in their spiritual growth. I'd love to pray for you, and I'm so proud of you for the work you're doing. And, uh, and we are, will continue to pray for you. Thank you for letting us share tonight. So, God, thank you for, uh, for what you're doing through this ministry. I pray for every one of these couples, God, that they would not isolate, that they would not hide, that they would not justify, but that they would rightly honor you, engage in the process. I pray that they'd partner together for oneness with their spouse. They wouldn't point the finger, but rather serve their spouse and help them become more like Jesus. I pray that they would not look at this as a short-term 16-week fix, but a lifetime of pursuing you rightly and pursuing oneness together. So thank you for re Thank you for these couples. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.